good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios here in Central Ohio. But you're hearing us over EWTN Radio, and it's a, a constant privilege to be involved with EWTN. Uh, this program gets its title because the, I suppose, one of the mottos of the work of the Coming Home Network is to be deep in history, deep in Scripture, and become deeper in Christ. And we just finished recently our ninth Deep in History conference, which was was super, and it went really well. But this program, which I am, I guess we're in fifth or sixth year now in this issue of Deep in Scripture, is to look deeper at um, the way that the Scriptures awaken us to a, a deeper walk with our Lord Jesus and His Church. And <clears throat> the, this last year or so, what I've been able to do is to tag this program on to our Journey Home program, the Monday Night Journey Home program, and so that the guests who joined me on Journey Home can come back onto Deep in Scripture and talk a little more uh, intimately about what Scripture had to do with their journey of faith. And so that's the case this week. I welcome to Deep in Scripture Debbie Herbeck. Hello, Debbie. Hi, nice to be here. And you're uh, definitely familiar with radio, and maybe some of you listening are familiar with Debbie. She, of course, joined me on Monday night to give her full journey of faith um, from being a, a cradle Jew um, and, a, and a practicing Jew. Uh, but then during her time at, at the school up north, that's what we say down here in Ohio, <laughs> uh, going to University of Michigan, it was during her time there that uh, the Lord used some, used some Catholic friends to awaken her heart. If you want to hear the whole story, I encourage you to go back to listen to the Journey Home program. But Debbie, you give me a bio. Let me read this real quickly and you sure. can comment on it because <laughs> okay. uh, I know bios change. But it says you've worked extensively in youth and women ministry for the past 25 years, doing evangelization on university campuses, speaking at high school youth conferences, directing youth camps, and mentoring high school and college-age women. It, what cracks my mind when I read that is you convert a Jewish woman and look out. <laughs> That's right. I mean, <laughs> you didn't just land running, you land sprinting. I mean, there you're involved with everything, and that's being available to... Well, you said in your journey that you were recognizing the counting of the cost. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the cost was worth it. Absolutely. To follow our Lord. She has spoken at Francisco University women's and youth conferences and women's events uh, throughout the country. For eight years, she's led weekly Bible study for over 200 women and is currently the director of the Renewal Ministries School of Catholic Bible Study. Debbie is the newsletter editor for Renewal Ministries and has written articles for New Covenant, Pastoral Renewal, Credo, and Catholic Faith and Family. She and her husband Peter co-authored a book entitled When the Spirit Speaks, Touched by God's Word, and recently authored a book entitled Safely Through the Storm. Uh, She was up until recently, the producer for the weekly Catholic television program, The Choices We Face, co-authored by Ralph Martin and her husband, Peter Herbeck. And they live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with their four children, ages 25 through 23, and are members of Christ the King Parish. I mean, what I see there, Debbie, <clears throat> is someone who's head of our heels in love with our Lord Jesus and his church. That's right. I'm trying to do whatever I can uh, with whatever... You know, gifts and talents the Lord has given me to really impact others for the Lord. A, a scripture that's always just struck me as significant is, a, a, well, there's so many, of course, but uh, 2 Corinthians in the first chapter, it says, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. In other words, often what we've gone through is to incur, to prepare us mm-hmm. to help others who've gone through the same. Is that true with your work that you do? I think so. I think, you know, we always are a lot more effective when we're just drawing from our own experience and speaking from the heart, it doesn't mean that we don't have an intellectual understanding of our faith and we don't study and try and understand more. But um, people, you know, it really helps just to be transparent and to, to admit when you have problems and struggles and difficulties. Nobody 
is looking for another perfect person. They just want someone to come alongside them and, um, you know, to to offer compassion. And, you know, the word compassion means to suffer with. So yeah. I think that's that's part of what the Lord calls us to do. Right. Well, when I look at your primary work is often with youth and women. Mm-hmm. Well, that to me represents also the times in your own journey where you went through key issues that awakened your faith. It awakened you, might awaken them. I mean, that's the... Yeah, absolutely. And I I do feel a sense of calling to work with young people, particularly young women, because that was the point in my life where I was making difficult choices for the Lord and um, putting aside things that the world was offering to really to really go after the Lord. And so I think it's a just a really important time for young people. And it's it's an important time not only to have the Lord in their life, but to have, you know, someone in the flesh who can walk through it with them. Right. I we're gonna look at Jeremiah thirty one in a little bit, but I still want to go back and pull out something from your journey because it it seemed like it was such a significant event in your days of youth when your brother died. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there you were, your whole family, Jewish, and then your your brother dies of a tragic car accident. And immediately that awakened with you the questions of all the big philosophical questions, Mm -hmm. and particularly focused around where is he, what happened to him. And, of course, you shared in that journey that you went to a rabbi after Mm -hmm. you talked to all these people, and the rabbi said, I don't know what to say. Yeah. And, and, uh, and uh, again, you're comforted that others might be comforted. Mm-hmm. And, and you said it, it, there is the intellectual element because you don't just want to give any answer. Mm-hmm. You want to give the right answer. That's right. Because you've got all kinds of people that have brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I go and share my testimony somewhere, you know, at a church or a women's breakfast or whatever. I have a great story of going to Omaha number of years back being asked to speak at a women's breakfast there and at the end a young woman came up to me she's just sobbing and uh, as she began to tell me her story she said I didn't even plan to come today somehow I found myself getting in my car and showing up in the parking lot here walked in and she said um, everything you said about your brother and this was one and hmm. a particular instance where I just felt as I was sharing my story that the Lord was almost saying, share more than you normally would. I didn't know this woman was here, but I ended up going into more detail about kind of my internal struggle with grief and everything. And she said, every single thing you shared touched me so deeply. She said, my brother was in a car accident three weeks ago and died. And you said exactly what I needed to hear. And you know, you go place and you think if just for that one person God brought me you know, all these miles to say this one thing, it was worth it. And we don't know that. We just have to be obedient to what the Lord's asking us to do. And so many stories of places I've been to where someone will come and say, you know, something similar happened to me because there's so much suffering in the yeah. world and, and everybody goes through it. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make it go away. But somehow when someone else is shouldering that burden with you, it, it helps, that you know. And the last thing in the world that I want to do is to belittle the rabbi that you talked to. Mm-hmm. But I think you're, that rabbi was being extremely honest in the sense that, and I'm guilty of this, that when I was a Protestant minister and I'd get asked, we deal with mm-hmm. suffering and death mm-hmm. and all that, and I had my flippant answers. Mm-hmm. You know, but when someone's sitting right in front of you mm-hmm. and it really happened, that person really died. And the mm-hmm. questions there are, where is he? Then you don't give the flippant answers anymore. Right. Now you're going to give what's true. And if you're not really sure and you're honest, you say, I don't know. And, and to me, that's one of the reasons why I am so grateful through my Catholic faith to understand the communion of saints. Mm-hmm. So that going to a cemetery isn't merely a visual reminder that your brother Mark lived. Right. That the communion of saints means he is alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's It gives a whole new understanding of what it all means. And, you know, maybe the best thing that rabbi did for me that day was he said, I will pray that you find what you're looking for. And if he indeed prayed for me, then... It was the answer to his prayer. It was, and that was maybe the best thing he could do for me. And maybe not even giving me the answer made me yes. go out and search for it. 
Yes. So. That's, well, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying, here's my answer, so accept it. And he said, no, you've got to. Yeah. You've got to be, and maybe he was recognizing, no, this is an important time and journey for you. And I think that does bring us to the scripture because Jan, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is right in the midst of what we're talking about, right? Yes. Uh, in fact, before I read it, why don't you talk about why this passage, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34? Well, you talked about your program being, <laughs> um, you know, this is about um, scripture and, and history. Yeah. And for a Jew, they're the same. Scripture is history. This is my history. When right. I read the Old Testament, it's this history of my people. It's the account of God's working with the people. And the Jews saw it as this is, you know, these aren't just stories. This is, this is our history that's written down. And so um, I love this Jeremiah passage because it's, it's an account of, of um, the covenant history. And it's a promise of what God intends to complete that he began in all the covenants that were made up to this point. And, and obviously reading it as a completed Jew, as a Messianic Jew, as a Catholic Jew, <laughs> it's all there. And it's so, so it's so exciting to read it, not only as a promise, but as something that's been fulfilled. Well, and in the context in which they would have heard this, they were people looking for something mm-hmm. hopeful. There's got to be some hope out there. Yeah, they were exiled. Um, the Jews were exiled and... You know, they were broke, uh, broken people, confused. And, um, you know, throughout the Old Testament, the Lord, you know, even in his correction of them and um, discipline of them, there's always that promise that's there. Well, and you mentioned the covenants. I mean, picture them in exile, the destruction of everything. And they're saying, okay, let's remember that Abrahamic covenant. Well, how's that going to get filled? Mm-hmm. The Davidic covenant. Well, How's that going to get fulfilled? I mean, there seemed no hope yeah. in the audacity of this prophet mm-hmm. to drop. Sometimes you get mad when somebody has the audacity to try and give you some hope when you don't see any hope. Well, that's what he gave. Well, let mm-hmm. me read it. And then uh, let's take a look at this beautiful passage. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is a great passage. Again, through Jeremiah 31, beginning with, with verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. Now, Debbie, I always am careful. I don't want to throw my guests uh, <laughs> you know, a curveball. Sure. But the, what strikes me right away, though, is you were brought up a practicing Jew and you went to synagogue every Saturday where you would hear the reading of the scriptures. Do you in any way remember this passage from your early days at all? Or what they may have said about how would they have dealt with any idea what they would have done with this? I don't remember it very much. <clears throat> oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of um, sitting in synagogue was he listening to it in Hebrew. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, when you're <clears throat> it's a bit like Catholics listening to it in Latin, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're kind of kind of tuning out, and then um, you know, the main time you're really paying attention to some of these passages in the Torah are when they're being read. Um, yeah. In a bar or bat mitzvah, and you know, there's some some commentary on it or something. So. But somewhere deep down, it must have been in there because when I began to read it um, as a believer, you know, it all began to make sense to me. And, um, you know, also going back and as a believer beginning to study, and we talked about this earlier, how a lot of Jews don't even know their own faith. They don't know the Old Testament. They can't, um, you know, they don't understand the history of their people except they know most most Jews would know the... um, the Egypt experience and the Passover sure. and coming out, but 
um, to say to someone, okay, here's Jeremiah, what's the context of this passage? Most Jews wouldn't know it. They might not even quite understand the temple and the sacrificial system and all that. So really for me, it was kind of going back and saying, this is part of my identity and I really want to dive into this because um, not only is it part of me, but now it's shedding light on, on sure. the New Testament. It's infor- informing the, the New Covenant. So, Do modern um, practicing Jews... You know, there's a lot of looking back, history, continuing what was done. So the presidents are continuing what was done. Was there still, within your upbringing, an expectation of the coming Messiah? I think there was somewhat, yeah, a, a sense of, you know, someday the Messiah will come. And I think there was. I don't know as much if there is for modern Jews. I mean, yeah. I think modern religion, you know, just like Catholics are, you know, they move moving away from that exactly. more and more right. secular um, more sense of um, confidence in ourselves and what we can bring to the situation rather than what God's going to provide for us. Yeah, yeah, almost a sense of, okay, this is our background, this is my training, but now here I am and i got to live out my life. Right. Uh, given all that as mm-hmm. an aid to how I live my life now so mm-hmm. I can accomplish what I'm supposed to and, and I don't want to think about tomorrow very much. That's I mean, right. <laughs> yeah. But this passage is so great. Behold, the days are coming. So as you jump into this passage, Debbie, what first grabs you as where you want to begin with this passage? Well, the very beginning, I mean, whenever you see behold, I mean, all right, let's pay attention (laughs) here. The days are coming. So this is a promise right here from the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, so he's not just talking to the house of Israel, the house of Judah, but implied in this promise is that somehow Judah and um, Israel, the two you know, the tribes that have been divided here are going to be brought back and, and reunited. So there's that promise yeah. to begin with, which is unbelievable when you think about it because they were they were separated and, you know, exiled and and, and just to think that the promise was part to reunite them and bring them back. At so. the time, that would have been seemingly impossible. Yes. So, um, so even that um, would have been... I mean, any of the covenants coming true at the time would have seemed certainly miraculous, mm-hmm. but that the the whole family would be brought That's right. back together. So, and then it says, you know, the new covenant, it's going to be a new covenant. And then right away, you know, through the prophet, the Lord clarifies, okay, it's not like any other covenant that I've <laughs> made in the past. Now, for any Jew, the, the, the pinnacle for any Jew is the Passover. That's the the historical moment when God delivered the people from bondage. And that's what we celebrate every year. And, you know, when you sit down around the Passover meal at the Seder, you say, um, as you go through the prayers, you say, we're not just here to remember, but it's as if we ourselves were slaves in Egypt and God has delivered us. So for this promise to say, this is this new covenant's going to be way better than what God did in Israel. And not just because it's better, it's something better that God did, but the res- our ability to respond to that covenant hmm. is going to be better. Because he goes on to say, um, he reminds them, it's, it's not like the covenant when I brought you out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, by the way, which they broke, <laughs> even though I was like a husband to them. So this is like a marriage covenant that they, hmm. in their unfaithfulness, they broke. So there's a promise here that somehow God is going to enable us to be faithful to the covenant as well as he's going to show his faithfulness. And then he goes on to say, um, all right, well, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in these days. Um, I will put my law within them. And for any Jew who understands law, it immediately would bring to mind Moses. So he's, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant here. The Mosaic covenant that was not within them, but was without them, that was brought down from the mountain in tablets of stone Mm -hmm. that the people studied and had to learn and made a promise to be faithful to. And the Lord says, no longer will that covenant be outside of you, but I'm actually going to write that on the tablet of your heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. So this is a this will signify, seal that covenant that my actual law will be written in their hearts. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful image. It almost seems like, and I don't know if this would have come to their mind, 
but if they're thinking about the the Davidic covenant giving them hope that there will be a ruler of Israel on the throne of the Davidic line Mm -hmm. to fulfill the Davidic covenant, which was a continual fulfillment of of the Abrahamic covenant that there'll be a kingdom uniting all people. If you see all that, when I hear that, I can't help but remember David's prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God. Mm -hmm. Put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with a... So there's this desire for a new heart. And, you know, probably the problem is, on the one hand, when you got the law and they realize that their hearts aren't always in line with it, getting their hearts in line with obedience is one thing. I'm also guessing that the other problem was they knew. They knew hypocrisy when people on the outside mm-hmm. were obedient to the law, but right. not on the inside. So this is a, a promise of a total internalization, so a renewal from the inside out, not just from the outside in. Yeah, and that's a great point, and it's, I think that's what he's trying to get is this internal transformation. And you mentioned David's, David's psalm, and it brings to mind a similar passage in Ezekiel where the Lord says in Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, um, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And then he says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. So it's a very similar thing. It's, um, you know, it's the heart surgery. It's the taking out of the heart of, of stone and putting in a flesh heart. And God's actual law is written on our hearts, which we understand is, is the Holy Spirit, right. um, the law that's written on our hearts. Um, and, but then he goes on to say... Um, in the Jeremiah passage. In the Jeremiah passage. So this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to be different. No longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because the teacher is now living within us. The teacher, the Holy Spirit, the one who reminds us of all truth and brings to mind all that Christ has taught us is actually living within us so that we all have the capability to really know the Lord um, from the least to the greatest. Um, It's not just for the scholars. It's not just for the rabbis. It's not just for the Pharisees or the Sadducees. It's for all of us because Christ's Spirit lives within us. And then finally, the wonderful promise for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Um, Benedict, in one, Pope Benedict, in one of his recent writings, emphasized that there's four levels, layers of interpreting Scripture. There's that one can see. Uh, there's, there's the Old Testament understanding of the Old Testament. There's the New Testament understanding mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. There's a New Testament understanding of the New Testament. And then there's ecclesial, the body of mm-hmm. Christ, understanding of it all. And I'm thinking in this case, Old Testament understanding of the Old Testament. I don't know if the people that heard Jeremiah had a clue what he was talking about. Probably not. You know, or even Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. What's with this water stuff, mm-hmm. the spirit coming in, mm-hmm. a new heart? Um, it sounds good. But they had no way of understanding it. Mm-hmm. It took our Lord Jesus and God coming into incarnation to help us see what the Old Testament prophets mm-hmm. were meaning. And of course, a little bit of that was delivered on the Emmaus Road. Yeah. When he's telling the two guys, Do you remember these passages back in Jeremiah? Well, guess what? You know, they've, they've come right. for real now. So let's take a break, Debbie, and we'll come right back to that. All right. Okay. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. I'm here today with Debbie Herbeck, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Debbie Herbeck. Um, she and her husband, Peter, very involved with Renewal Ministries. You know, Debbie, before we jump into this passage again, I mean, are Renewal Ministries at all connected to what we're talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would like to think so. Oh, I would hope facetious. so. Oh. Yes. Um, really, you know, the goal of Renewal Ministries, the mission is to really bring... Um, renewal and evangelization um, to the church um, to really help Catholics that are sitting in the pews, um, dozing off or whatever they're doing, uh, really wake up to the gift of Jesus Christ, um, to learn how to live more in the power of the Holy Spirit, to appropriate the graces of the church and the new evangelization. And we'll, we'll bring that to whoever's willing to sit down and listen. Yeah. There's a sense in which nothing's old, nothing's new because, uh, the passages we're looking at, to a certain extent, are calling these people to be awakened to the reality of God and the That's changed right. life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to a certain extent, they couldn't understand it except from grace. Um, but yet we also know in the quote in the New from the Old Testament that God listens to the prayers of a righteous man. That's right. And, and so those who got on their knees like David and create with me in a clean heart, God would honor. Absolutely. And the more you read the the Old Testament and, you know, how much they fail to keep God's law, really the Old Testament, what it should do for us is really what it did for um, the Israelites. It points out our need for a Savior, you know, that the law in and of itself was incomplete. The law revealed our sin. When I say our, I'm talking as a Jew now. The law revealed our sin to us and our need for, for more. And, you know, as we look at this and we see it, you know, that's what it should do for us, too, is to understand the gift of Jesus. And Yeah, well, even back, well, way back, you know, when we had the, the before the Abrahamic covenant, after Noah got off his, that big old boat, and we had a chance to start all over again, and very quickly we blew it. There was a, a good holy line through Shem, but there was mm-hmm. another line, which decided in time to make a name for itself. Yes. You know, it wanted to say, we don't need God. We can, we're not going to wait on Shem's authority. We have our own mm-hmm. authority. So they mm-hmm. wanted to build themselves this big, honorable temple. And uh, we know that as the Tower of Babel, that God separated everything. That's right. But we see that coming back together again in the New Testament. And that's really a key point mm-hmm. of uh, the whole history of the faith, isn't it? Yes. In Pentecost. It is. In Pentecost. And 
And as a Jew, you know, I, I shared this earlier how, you know, Peter and I with our kids have really tried to incorporate the Jewish feasts into our life and talk about how Jesus is a fulfillment. And a lot of people don't know that Pentecost really is a Jewish feast. That's right. um, and when you see, you read in the Acts of the Apostles and they were gathered in Jerusalem, they were gathered there to observe the Feast of Pentecost, which commemorates um, the giving of the law on um, Mount Sinai and, and comes comes at a time when the Jews come and they together to celebrate the giving of the law. Now, the, the fulfillment of that that we see in the Catholic faith is um, the the commemoration of the giving of the new law, which is talked about here in both um, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and that the right. Lord talks about putting, the, putting a law within our hearts, and that's the law of love that's written by the Holy Spirit. And then um, wonder of wonders, what's born of that is the church itself. And so Pentecost for Catholics is not only the celebration or the commemoration of the giving of the law and the Holy Spirit, which right. you see happening in Acts, but it's also the birth What's birthed from that is the church itself, the people of God who are called to express that law of love within their own lives. Yeah, the Paul describes that birth in Ephesians as the mystery. And the mystery was not just the incarnation, the Trinity, all that, mm -hmm. but the mystery was that the family of God is not just the Jews. That's right. Now the family is everybody. That's right. It's open to everyone. Yes, and that dividing wall of hostility that was once there between Jew and Gentile is now come down and think about it like the walls of the temple. That wall, you know, the, the Gentiles were not allowed into the inner courts of the temple. They could go in the courts of the Gentiles, but they were walled off, literally, yeah. up yeah. to that point. And so that dividing wall that's kept them away from God has been torn down, and now this covenant, this new covenant that God offers is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all the nations, the Gentiles included, so that God's family is finally brought together and reunited, not just, the tr not just Judah and Israel, but the entire family of the human race. So it's just beautiful how it all comes together. It's like connecting all the dots, you know? <laughs> There's a sense in which uh, I've often felt when I've talked to Jewish converts that you were really given a gift because of your Jewishness to, to have an inside scoop on really what all this stuff means. Mm -hmm. Like, as you said, when you walked into that Catholic church, when you're at, at an age of understanding it, mm -hmm. that you were seeing this is your own tradition. Everything mm -hmm. there is yeah. a continuity. Absolutely. I, I do feel very grateful to the Lord for the gift that I've been given. And, you know, my big hang-up, and even thinking about becoming Catholic was, I thought, I'm Jewish. <laughs> and, you know, I felt a very, very much comforted by the Lord saying, I'm not asking you not to be Jewish. I just want to complete what I've already given you. And I'm always really trying to encourage, you know, my Catholic brothers and sisters and, and my Protestant brothers and sisters, read the Old Testament because it will really help you understand what um, was being taught there and, and understand that a lot of it was being taught to Jews and from a Jewish perspective. And, and understanding the context of the Old Covenant really helps in understanding the New. Well, which is one of the reasons why I became Catholic, um, having been a Presbyterian pastor and, and really a Protestant for over for 40 years, was that the Catholic understanding of the faith, of the church, of the sacraments, of the priesthood, of the sacrifice, was a continuity mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end. It's really, a, you see it all the way from the Garden of Eden, where Adam, as the first priest, yeah, you know, right. called to keep in the till, the, the mm -hmm. Holy of Holies, the Garden, and, and all of that. And this, there we see the six days and the seven, all, mm -hmm. it, it's all there. Mm -hmm. And the continuity is all the way through to our Catholic faith. Amongst our separated brethren, there's such a discontinuity, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a jarring severance of that continuity with faith. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I first started, before I was Catholic and I start, first started reading the New Testament, once I was a believer, you know, you have this notion that, um, you know, the Catholic Church started in the Middle Ages or something, you know, <laughs> and uh, really understanding the continuity and understanding, too, that the early church was a Jewish, you know, church yeah. it was primarily jewish and kind of understanding more what happened there um 
So I think, you know, we do, we do a lot of good to reclaim some of those Jewish roots um, for ourselves as Catholics also. There's a sense in which at the very first council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, you had a, two groups, which we still see them today, uh, the, the, the Jewish folk that were there, which we call the, uh, uh, what do we call them, the Hebrewizers or the Judaizers, Judaizers excuse me, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. my mind is pulled by, were of the group that um, was almost like our Bible-only folk. You know, they have the Old Testament law sticking to it. Mm-hmm. This is it. There's no changes. Mm-hmm. You know, this is it. But there was another group that was also there, which was all about change. Mm-hmm. Everything's change. Yeah. And Paul called them in Galatians uh, the libertines. Mm-hmm. We've been given, we, we threw out the old. It's all gone. Mm-hmm. So we just have the new. So these extremes, all old, no new, or all new, new no old. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church says no. It's a continuity. Yeah. Which is really what the Acts 15, the church has the authority given by God to change certain aspects of tradition with a small t, mm-hmm. but there are certain aspects we hold on to. That's right. Faith and morals. Yeah, and you can see in the early church they're really wrestling with these issues and, you know, I can't quite appreciate because I didn't live in those times, but as a Jewish convert, I can appreciate how difficult it would have been to let go of all the things that your whole life you had been taught are what make you a Jew. And not only that, you're being persecuted for it. And your life is really being threatened and took a tremendous amount of courage to walk the way that, you know, Jesus is calling you to walk. And that's why, you know, um, in the letter of Hebrews and other places, there's really a call that goes out hold on, hold fast to your confession of faith without wavering because they were really being shook to the core. When we think about converts, especially from Judaism, it's important for us to remember that when Paul was knocked off his horse, and he was probably about one of the most educated guys around, knew his Jewish faith, gets knocked off his horse and realizes this guy Jesus is God and Savior. Mm-hmm. He went away for ten years. Remember, he he, he encountered, he got some resistance, mm-hmm. and they sent him away. He went to Tarsus for yeah. ten years, and mm-hmm. then they had old Barmas had to go back and say, "No, no, we need you back mm-hmm. in ministry." Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he probably had a great successful tenting business there, and had to be brought back into it because there is a temptation when you fight the battles. Mm-hmm. You know, let me take the easy road. And they brought Paul back in, and he was the greatest of missionaries in the early days. Every one of us has that temptation. That's I mean, right. you went through the leaving of your roots. Mm-hmm. It would have been easier for you to get that master's and doctorate degree in English mm-hmm. and just, I'm not dealing with religion. It's too much, mm-hmm. too much pain there. Mm-hmm. But you jumped into it with all feet. Well, it's just like, you know, just like <laughs> Saul, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus, he met the Lord and you know, you meet the Lord and, you know, and like Peter says, where else can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so, but I think, you know, there is that, that point where you have to say, I mean, you're either all in yeah. or, you know, I'm, I'm going back. And I, I can sympathize with what these Jews must have had to struggle with. And um, especially the Jews, you know, some of the Levites and the Jews who were serving actually in the temple, that their whole way of life is now being thrown upside down. And uh, they really have to make a choice to hold on to what's true. Yeah, there's a place in Acts right after the appointment of, they didn't call them deacons at the time, but after the appointment of the first folk to serve. Mm-hmm. And they did that so that um, the, the uh, apostles could focus on the ministry. Mm-hmm. But what's really neat after that is after they said, and the word of the God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests mm-hmm. were obedient to the faith. So even some of the Jewish priests were making great sacrifice. Yes. Giving up everything. It's, I mean, if, if they were priests, it wasn't that something that they decide as a young man, they're going to go off to school. No, no, this is inherited. Right. Generation, mm-hmm. generation, generation that they were then leaving behind 
become a part of this new sect. Right. Yes. I mean, there was the sacrifice. There was. And, you know, for many of them, once the temple was destroyed, that was, you know, their livelihood, you know. And so really Judaism was being shook to its core also because they had to reorient. Once the temple was destroyed, the sacrificial system was gone. They had to say, now how do we continue to teach our people the ways of the Lord and how do we make sacrifice for sin? And so they kind of had to reorient things and the temple was no longer the the primary place of worship and you had the temple with a small t and right. the rabbis took a more prominent role in, in teaching the faith and um but for a you know a priest to to convert would be like a protestant minister to yeah. convert you know <laughs> right but i even and I, I agree but even more so right uh, especially when you could imagine yourself in that time of history when the jerusalem is being destroyed in 70 a.d and mm-hmm. the temple's being destroyed I mean, they're still hoping. There was such a messianic hope right. in the in that time that Jeremiah's passage and Ezekiel's passage would come true, and for them to not only see this Jesus and the sect of followers break away, but to see Rome come in and destroy everything mm-hmm. that had to be an unbelievably devastating time yeah, for the Jews of that first century. Yeah. People have said to me, I don't get it. This, you know, Christians have said, I don't get it. Why didn't the Jews believe? I mean, he told them this was going to happen. He said, you know, my body will be destroyed. Why didn't they get it? And I said, well, some of them got it. But the scripture, this was for you. This was a gift for you as a Gentile. The Lord says he's going to allow their hearts to be hardened so that Gentiles can come to faith. Well, a key is the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Because... This man, Jesus, being crucified on a cross outside the temple walls to any Jew would have not, it would have not been a sacrifice. Right. Yep, you're right. It's a curse. It's outside the walls. Mm -hmm. What's sacrificial about that? But what makes it a sacrifice is when you connect it to Mm -hmm. what happened in the upper room, then it makes sense. That's right. And so that's what happened on Emmaus Road when they saw him in the breaking of bread. Mm -hmm. It took that scales to coming off the eyes. Let's take one more break, Debbie, and we'll come back. Maybe a couple thoughts on what does this mean for our lives. Okay, sound good. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Debbie Herbeck. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, Debbie Herbeck. We've been looking at Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 and, and uh, you know, the prophecies of the, the one-day new covenant of the Messiah. How do we apply this to our lives, Debbie? Wow, so many applications. <laughs> I think the most obvious one is read and study the Scriptures. I mean, this is something Pope Benedict has been really emphasizing in the last few years very strongly. Um, Catholics are used to going in and hearing the readings at Mass, and, you know, maybe they can remember, maybe they can't, but he's calling for something a lot uh, deeper than that that really has a transformative effect on our lives, and that can't happen unless we're willing to commit the time and the energy to not only read the Word, but I would also suggest studying the Word, and I think um, we've really seen the rise of Catholic Scripture studies in the last 10 years. Um, so there's, pro- there, you know, it's easier to find a good scripture study these days where you can join and, and not just studying on your own even, but I would even venture to say get in a study group so that you can be more accountable and you can kind of dive in together. So I think on a very practical level, it's changed my life and the lives of so many people I know to actually be doing scripture study together. 
And in no way do we want to discourage the the beautiful hearing of Scripture in the Mass because, I mean, the source of Scripture is was for the liturgy. That's why the mm-hmm. canon of Scripture was de- defined, which of these many books in the first century can be read in liturgy. And so the church right. for 2,000 years has gone through the Scriptures and put them liturgically so they're there. But if we don't know the Scriptures for ourselves, we don't know where it fits into the story. Mm-hmm. That's why you study it on your own. Absolutely. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. So when you begin to study the scriptures and you hear it at Mass, then you're really listening, and it really brings it more alive. And um, I remember when this kind of made a connection for me, I, I kind of related to, I, I was studied Spanish in high, in high school and college. I was a Spanish minor. And I remember when I began to dream in Spanish. And, <laughs> and for me, that was monumental because I thought, I get it. Like something's clicked in my consciousness and I get Spanish. Well, the same thing began to happen with scripture. The more I studied it, I noticed as I was praying or having conversations with people, particularly about the Lord, certain scriptures started coming to mind. And I could tell that it was really in me more in a substantial way so that I was really beginning to know the scriptures. Now, I I have no, no way of memorizing the scriptures, but they actually are living in me, and I can <laughs> use them when the Lord is asking me to use them. So I think there's a, a real value in terms of not only for our own spiritual life, but how we can use them to really help others come to know the Lord. Those passages that you, you drew our attention to in both Jeremiah and Ezekiel were Old Testament prophecies looking forward in the big picture of of Judaism and Israel. But they're also very personal because mm-hmm. they really call every one of us to conversion mm-hmm. and and asking now that we have our Savior, our Lord Jesus, who's given us his body, the church that we become a part of through the great gift of baptism, which Ezekiel mm-hmm. talked about. That's right, and the sprinkling so, of clean water. Yeah, so now that that is true in Ezekiel, we have that and we have the Spirit. Well, how could someone listening, if they've never experienced the, the fullness of that move, to experiencing that? Well, I'd say, um, you know, if you're, if you're a baptized Catholic um, and a confirmed Catholic, all that's already in you, and yeah. it's like activating it. So you need to turn <laughs> on the key or whatever it is, you know, whatever analogy you want to use. But I think just pre- coming before the Lord and just saying, Lord, I believe you've given me your spirit. I believe your spirit lives in me. I want to see this in my own life. I want to see the fruit of in my own life. Come Holy Spirit, come and live in me in a way that um, empowers me to, to know um, who I am in you, to know who I am as part of God's people, um, to know that I'm forgiven of my sins, to know your law, that your law lives in my heart. I think just praying and asking for the Holy Spirit to be stirred up in us and activated in us. Yeah, I don't know that I can find it in this short time, but it's one of my favorite passages from Chronicles which would have been around this time period when they've come back. Mm-hmm. And he's, remember that passage, if my people yes. who are called by my name would humble themselves yeah. and basically come to me with prayer. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he's saying the way you kickstart it mm-hmm. is humbling ourselves. That's right, yeah. Our sinfulness, recognizing in prayer, recognizing the gift of our Savior Jesus Christ, the gift of his church, and just opening ourselves to all that he has to give us. That's right, yes. You had a prayer that you wanted to share with us as a as a way of reflecting. Maybe give a little background to it, and then and then go ahead and, and read that for us. Well, there's some prayers in the New Testament that are just beautiful prayers. Um, you know, there's one at the beginning of Colossians. There's one at the beginning of Ephesians that um, I think are beautiful. That that not only show um, you know Paul's heart for his people for the church, but um, they really, as I, you know, read through them, pray for them, and pray for different people that I love that I'm reaching out to, whether it's family or friends or people that don't know the Lord. Um, these are the kind of the essence of what I would pray for and hope for in those. So these are the things that touch me. And then it's always helpful as I'm studying the scriptures to remember these aren't just words written on a page. I mean, Paul, these are people yeah. that Paul was going to, that he was pouring out his heart for, that he lived and died for. And um, those same kind of people are in our lives today. 
True. So the word of God is, um, you know, eternal and, and its value for us is eternal. So I thought I maybe could read that as a way of Please um, do, yes. closing and maybe, you know, prayerfully read it as a way of um, all of us thinking of those that we love um, and what we hope and pray for, for them. All right. So this one is from Ephesians um, chapter 1, right. starting in verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, and here's the heart again, Mm You may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in this age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's amazing how much in that passage says it all, doesn't it? And what I particularly like about it also Mm -hmm. is, this is my own thing, there's, there's no way I can't believe that our Lord Jesus, after his resurrection, didn't tell his apostles the meaning of the Trinity. Hmm. He didn't just say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He right. helped them understand. But in this passage, we see Paul, who understands the sensitivity of his listeners. They're not going to quite get that. Yeah. So he calls them sensitive to their Jewish backgrounds, to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all. Hmm. He's drawing his Jewish listeners in so they can become a part of the body of Christ in the fullness. Thank you, Debbie, for sharing with us today. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And what's that website again, in case they want to connect with y'all? Renewalministries.net. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you and for your continued witness and your Bible studies with women and youth, the great stuff that you're doing with Renewal Ministry, and please take home the blessings to your family. I certainly we, will. We, all, we appreciate everything that you and your husband do. So yeah. thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on this program you know, the, the scriptures that Debbie brought to our attention really remind us of how much our Lord loves us, the intimacy that he had with Judaism, with his people. He never gave up on them. He brought the fulfillment of those prophecies, and that is fulfillment is in Jesus and our church. By his grace, may we appreciate this great gift. God bless you.